Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. Greetings and welcome back to One True Pod, brought to you by DirecTV Stream. Get your TV together with the best of live and on demand. Learn more at directtv.com. We are the Big 12 Podcast on the Andy Staples Show and Friends Podcast feed. Thanks as always for listening. My name is Jason Kersey, joined as always by my good friends, Max Olson, Sam Con Jr. Gentlemen, uh, we, we've got a great show today. We've got, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Texas Tech's new head coach, but then we're going to be joined by former Longhorns running back Fozzie Whitaker uh, to talk about the state of Texas football, the Longhorns having lost four in a row and, uh, you know, not looking too good. So that was a great interview. We'll get to that here in a little bit. But guys, how are we doing today? I am good. I, Jason, Max, I, I spent Seven years at the Houston Chronicle. I spent eight years at ESPN. I'm here at the Athletic, and I will die on one true pod. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Oh man, bold bold words. Yeah, man, uh, Jason. Let me tell you, I, I, we're going to talk about Joey McGuire. I, I suspect you don't know very much about Joey McGuire, and I don't I know, mean, I mean that I as know, a slight. Yeah. Uh, let me just tell you, and I, it'd be awesome if we can get him on the pod. We're going to try. Um, we 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 may be able to pull that off, but. Jason, if you talk to this guy for like 15 minutes, I think you'd pack up and move to Lubbock and go cover the Red Raiders. <laughs> or I'd probably want to play for the Red Raiders is what it sounds like. I don't want to cover him. I think I might want to play for him if I talk to him. When I heard when I heard <laughs> that Lincoln Riley was missing during media availability on Tuesday, I was assuming he was going to go be Joey McGuire's offensive coordinator and go back home to Lubbock. Yeah. No, I it's we're going to have to have um we're going to have to have some, some repairmen out to my house because I did run through a wall yesterday while <laughs> while watching Joey McGuire's uh, you know, press conference while I was making lunch. Man, uh, pr- pretty stoked for Texas Tech. That is, uh, that is a really cool hire. Yeah. Obviously had, a, had an amazing uh, career as a Texas high school coach, still has all those connections, did a, did a really great job at Baylor as an assistant for the last five years. Is that right? Do yep. I have that right? Yep, that's right. Um, and uh, joined Matt Rule's staff. Just just uh, really exciting, I think, person for Texas Tech to have hired because if anybody can can recruit Texas, it's, it's Joey McGuire. But 
All right, Sam, we'll start with you. I mean, how surprised were you that they went in this direction uh, of hiring Joey McGuire? And how, how surprised are you that it happened this fast? Oh, I'm quite a bit surprised. I, I thought Joey would at least get an interview, but I didn't expect him to get the job just because when they fired Matt Wells midseason, Kirby Hocutt talked about the expectations and trying to get back. And you fired a coach with a winning record midseason. And certainly you were trying to get a jump. And, and they had Jeff Trailer as their initial target, clearly, which obviously he decided to stay at UTSA. And uh, he's only been there two years and, and signed a massive extension, $2.8 million a year for the next 10 years. I didn't know UTSA had that kind of money, by the way. Uh, meet, meet. But I, I thought that Joey would maybe get an interview. But I, I, would, I had assumed that Joey would probably have to go to a group of five program, maybe a place like North Texas or Texas State or UTSA had Jeff Trailer vacated and gone to Tech. And cut his teeth there before getting the job. But like Max alluded to earlier, you get in a room with a guy, which Texas Tech leadership and their search committee did, and he wins you over because the guy is full of energy. He's full of excitement, enthusiasm, and he's a guy that you want to play for. And I think with the key thing that Herbie Hoke had said at the start of the search was, we want someone with strong Texas ties who get into the high schools and build those relationships in recruiting. Who better to do that than Joey McGuire, who won three state championships at Cedar Hill, spent 14 years there, was a Crowley before that, uh, to, inducted in the Texas High School Coach Association Hall of Honor. So I was a little bit surprised, but once I knew that he was going to get an interview and once I knew that Trailer was out and Sonny Dykes was kind of you know, maybe possibly in play for TCU, to me that made sense. To me, rather than go try to get a retread somewhere else or try to pluck somebody from another part of the country, why not go to the profile you're looking for and find a guy that fits that profile who may have the upside of a Jeff Trailer before everybody's jumped on him? So I, I was impressed with Texas Tech landing on him because I think the upside for him is extremely high. Well, well I think one other thing that got Joe McGuire the job was just like his passion and enthusiasm for the job. And, and I think that I, you could tell that meant a lot to uh, Kirby Hocutt and the, and the search committee there, just how badly this guy wanted to be the head coach of Texas Tech. And I think, you know, Sam, um, when we talked about a lot of these candidates here in the past past few weeks um, and, and trying to figure out where these searches were going, you would hear a lot of, um, oh, you know, this person likes TCU over Texas Tech and stuff like that. If they're both open, they'd rather go to TCU, that kind of stuff. Um, I'm, I'm sure that was probably part of it a little bit is, is they would probably talk to people who either want to see what else is going to open up or maybe they would prefer to to go to Fort Worth. Joe McGuire wants to be in Lubbock, Texas. He's spent a lot of time in Lubbock, Texas. He has sent his daughter to school there and she graduated in 2018. He's got a lot of buddies there. This is a job that he, you know, really coveted because he 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 feels like he gets it. He gets the people of West Texas. He gets that he, you know, this job's a little bit different from the rest of the Big 12 and in the state. And he thinks that's a good thing. And um, I, I think that went a long way. But also the timing of this, I'm curious what you guys thought of this. You know, I don't think that this is going to be the norm as much as we've seen some pretty extreme stuff here uh, with Texas Tech, with TCU, even Nebraska firing their offensive staff with two games left um, and making a decision on Scott Frost. I don't know that this is going to be the norm. I, I understand the early signing period part of this is important, um, but – Texas Tech running a two-week search and getting it done before the season was over definitely surprised me a little bit. And I almost wonder if that was a little bit limiting in terms of who you could hire. Like if they offer Alex Grinch, 
Jason, you know, Alex Grinch is not going to leave Oklahoma with a couple games left so. in the regular season, right? Like, yeah. just it's not possible. So in some ways, being so aggressive, it also sort of meant you had to hire a non-head coach and a non-coordinator probably a little bit. Um, I'm curious what you guys thought about, hey, big boost to Texas Tech to get out there, build a staff, start recruiting, really kill it in December and November. Um, but that, that part of it certainly was unique. Yeah, no doubt about it. And to your point about Alex Grinch, I had that same thought yesterday. Like, I wonder what would they have done if Grinch had been offered that job? He he has to say no, right? I mean, it just, it doesn't, the timing just doesn't make sense for him. No, it does. Oklahoma's in the thick of the college football playoff race, undefeated, about to go on to this November run. It would have been really difficult, I think, for him to to make that move permanently at that point or to try to tread that line and, and recruit for both schools or whatever. To You can sort of get away with that in December, I feel like, but but in in the thick of the regular season, that's that's impossible. And so uh, that, that is interesting. And, and to your point about fit, Max, I – I don't know, something about the way you were describing that. It's it's like finding the best coach available versus finding the the perfect fit. I for some reason my my head went to Sam Pittman when you were talking yeah. about Joey McGuire. Like Sam Pittman this hire is Sam Pittman and, and yeah. Shane Beamer. This is what this hire yeah. is. I, exactly. Shane Shane Beamer and Sam Pittman are perfect examples of they wanted to be head coaches, but they really wanted to be head coaches at this place. Like Sam Pittman wasn't interested in you know the Auburn job. He wanted to be the head coach at Arkansas. Shane Beamer wanted to be the head coach at South Carolina, and you know obviously uh, at Arkansas that's worked out really well for Sam Pittman. And things are looking pretty good for Shane Beamer. A hell of a win this week over Florida. So uh, I, I think that's really interesting. Yeah, I will tell you this. And by the way, if you haven't checked it out, go to the Athletic and read Max's piece on Joey McGuire. He did a really good job on Monday writing about Joey and his path uh, to. To, uh, I was jealous, you know, you, you and I have to arm wrestle over Joey. But uh, <laughs> but anywho, I think this is a culture hire. That You said the Sam Pittman thing. That's exactly what I thought. This is a culture hire for this program. And one quote that he had on Tuesday in his introductory press conference that, that stood out to me was that he, when somebody asked him about his staff and what kind of philosophy he'll have in hiring a guy, he said, I don't care if they're the greatest X's and O's mind in the world. If they can't build relationships, they're not walking in that building. And to me, that speaks to kind of who he is and what he brings. He's not going to be the Lincoln Riley guy that's going to be the offensive wizard, or he's not going to be the defensive mind who's you know going to outscheme you to death. He's going to be a culture guy who's going to set a tone in that building, who's going to build relationships and try to leverage that to get players. That can get you win, and then obviously he's going to hire guys who he feels like are good enough to to develop and do the X's and O's part. Yeah, for sure, and that's that. You know, if you if you take the Sam Pittman example, you know, part of it is Sam Pittman hired you know really great established coordinators to start off his tenure, and um, and Barry Odom had head coaching experience too, which I'm sure helps um, you know in in some intangible way when you're when you're new at this. And so who who Joey McGuire surrounds himself with will be important. And you know, look as as um, you know, his, his, as his good friend, David Beatty learned, I mean, David Beatty is a, a, a similar example. David Beatty wasn't a coordinator, uh, at A&M when he got the Kansas job. Of course, Kansas is, was, and I think much worse shape than Texas tech is. I, I, I sort of goes without saying, um, y- you know, you've got to 
you've got to, you know, you've got to figure out how to be a good game day head coach too. You know, you've got to get that part right. Um, and you know, if you're, if you're decision-making all that terrible, people will start questioning you fast. But I think if you can surround yourself, you know, that this guy's going to recruit you, you know, um, you know, that I think, I think he is going to be able to put together a good staff. You got to be the guy that, that you're right, Sam brings the energy in that building. And, um, you know, I think that, Will he win games? Like I think it, there's there's gonna have to be a little bit of patience there as as a guy that's the the first time FBS head coach. But I would also say there's probably some of that experience from Cedar Hill and and winning three state championships at the high school level in Texas that not just gives you credibility in that in Lubbock and in that region and stuff, but also I would think you know gives people some trust that this guy actually does know how to run a program. Oh, I mean, dude, the, before his introductory press conference, he got three commitments. Granted, yeah. they're from his old stomping grounds, Cedar yeah. Hill, but right. pretty good players. I mean, Sincere Massey, the defensive tackle who was committed to Arizona State, who he flipped. Uh, I've, I've talked to coaches in this state who think he's one of the most underrated tackles in the country and defensive tackles in the country. So uh, that, that to me, it's very rare that you get a commitment that quickly, you know, less than 24 hours into the job. So I think that <laughs> yeah. just speaks to this is kind of what you're looking for. This is kind of what you're going to see from Joey is a high energy, fast paced culture guy so to speak well you know real quick guys what impact does this have on baylor um baylor's a team that, that obviously is, is going uh is still in the thick of the big 12 championship race uh, they're going to need some help probably to get back into it but they're still in it they've got a big game this weekend against oklahoma joey mcguire's been an extremely valuable member of that staff i'm curious what you guys think about the impact this could have on baylor i'll start with recruiting i saw they had a recent decommitment and it's it'll be worth seeing if where, where, where that ends up going. But yeah, it, it, Dave Aranda said it on Monday, you'll have to shuffle a little bit with the staff and and get somebody to, to take Joey's position at outside linebackers. But I think overall, they'll still be fine because they're both their coordinators are in place. Everybody else is in place. So I, I don't anticipate it'll have a huge impact, but certainly it's worth watching because you've got a guy who's been an imprint and had a big uh, impact there. But I also think they have some similar guys on that staff like him, Sean Bell, David Wetzel, who they brought in, uh, Matt Matt Rule brought those guys in when he first got the job. Uh, that I think, from a culture standpoint, I, I yes, losing Joey stinks for them, but I don't think they're going to be tremendously affected, at least not in the short term. No, and the other question is just how many people is he going to take from that building? You know, how many people are going to leave Baylor to go join Joey McGuire at Texas Tech? He took James Blanchard with him, um, which I thought was a pretty pretty smart move on his part. Uh, as his uh, personnel director, um, you know, did a really great job scouting players at Baylor. Um, so I guess we'll, that'll be curious to see, you know, maybe when the season's over here, how many people want to leave Waco and, and go with Joey McGuire to Lubbock. And that, it's, that's always, uh, you know, it, it's, it's especially, you know, kind of wild the way this all timed out that uh, Texas Tech hasn't played Baylor yet, too. So um, that, that matchup will be, will be interesting. And that's also why Joey McGuire had to leave right away. You can't really stay in the building at Baylor and, and keep doing your job there when, when you're recruiting for Texas Tech. Will be very interesting to monitor um, moving forward. Texas Tech hires Joey McGuire as their new head coach. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who are actively searching for a new job might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats it might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring, and it's time you join that number. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash CFB23. That's linkedin.com slash CFB and the numbers 23 to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Now we're going to move into our interview. We're going to shift gears to Texas. Uh, Texas coming off another loss in which they were leading in the second half, a fourth straight. Uh, to talk more about that, we're going to bring on former Texas running back, Fozzie Whitaker. Texas is not back. The Longhorns are struggling. And to continue our conversation about them, we welcome in former Texas running back, Fozzie Whitaker. Fozzie's an analyst on Longhorn Network a Monday morning host on Sirius XM Big 12 Radio, and he played for the Longhorns uh, back 2008 to 2011 before going out in the NFL, but now he's on the dark side with us media folks. Fozzie, <laughs> welcome to One True Pod. How are you, sir? What's going on, fellas, man? I appreciate y'all having me on. Uh, it's been a rough season so far, but at the same time, man, I'm enjoying my job covering the team, being on the dark side, as you say, and, and really getting <laughs> to uh, enjoy this side of life. I'm particularly enjoying having Fozzie on because, Jason, I think I mentioned this to you earlier before we came on, but Fozzie was the first athlete I covered when I became a professional journalist. He, in 2004, he was a sophomore running back at Pearland High School. My first assignment at the Houston Chronicle was to go cover a homecoming game between Pearland and Clearbrook. And I only knew you as Foz Whit Whitaker by your by your, your, your legal first name, not the nickname. And so I was like, who's this sophomore running back who ran for like 160 yards that night? And, uh, you know, I've got to know Fozzie. And now he's grown up, you know, he's got a job. He's in our industry now and he's got family and everything. And it's just I feel really old now. Dude, but, uh, I, I feel old, too. I mean, one of, one of the first big stories I did at ESPN was on Fozzie. So, I mean, yeah, Fozzie, we're, we're getting old now, aren't we? <laughs> if y'all get no that means i'm getting old too because now i'm the family man as uh I, I got a job as well uh in this position so but it, it's been crazy uh the relationships that i fostered over the years uh like sam said since 2004 uh obviously with you whenever i was at texas max like it's been just really cool seeing how that relationship has fostered and allow us to be where we are today right now yeah, so so Fozzie, of course, we wanted to have you on to talk about the Longhorns. It's been a rough uh, four weeks, five weeks. Uh, they've had an off week in between that, but they they went from four and one to now four and five, losing four in a row. And I'm just curious, from top line thoughts, Fozzie, what has gone wrong in your opinion, and and how can Texas get this thing fixed? 
Yeah, man, it's been crazy to see this kind of turn. Uh, you don't really expect it at a program like the University of Texas with the type of talent, the type of depth that you typically recruit, uh, the level of players, the level of coaching that you receive, and then the amount of resources uh, that are input on a weekly basis to prepare for the team. Uh, you don't typically see a four-game losing streak happen, but since we're here, uh, I think it can be attributed. Number one, I think injuries have played a huge part. Um, you look at what Texas has been able to do whenever Casey Thompson was uh, not dealing with that thumb injury. And then after that third quarter shot uh, against Oklahoma, uh, he's basically turned a, a corner and has gone the opposite way from a standpoint of his productivity. Uh, and then uh, obviously the level of defense probably factors a lot into that as the four games that Texas just played uh, and, and lost against are the top four defenses in the Big 12. So uh, that factors a lot into it. But then you also look at the, the injury to Jordan Whittington, which was a huge blow uh, because that was Casey's main go-to target on third down. And where Texas has struggled is obviously in the second half, uh, but really picking up first downs. They are terrible in the second half, picking up first downs. And uh, Jordan Whittington was a key guy for Casey to be able to be implemented into the pass game and allow him to be a go-to receiver that'll make those uh, contested catches and, and those sure hands to be able to convert and keep the chains moving. So those two instances for sure uh, with, with Casey battling his thumb, Jordan battling uh, his shoulder, his clavicle, uh, and then obviously not being able to stop the run. Uh, this defense has not done it on a consistent basis and they uh, for sure haven't done it in any of the losses. Uh, they are second to last stopping the run in the conference. And uh, anytime you come up at, uh, against uh, premier backs like the Big 12 has, I, I call this Big 12 running back country uh, because every team has a notable back that could be in a national campaign at any given point in time. Uh, and, and anytime you're in a conference like that, you got to be able to stop the run. And whenever Texas does not stop the run, uh, obviously, they get thrashed kind of in a similar fashion like Iowa State was able to do in the second half in the same way Oklahoma State was able to do in the second half as well. Uh, they just got to figure it out in the second half. And, and it's not just all defense, but as well on the offensive side of the ball, I talk about the lack of productivity from a standpoint of being able to move the chains. Uh, our offensive line has been a big struggle. There have been changes left and right. There have been injuries to the offensive line as well. Um, it's just Denzel Okafor out for the season and, and they haven't been the same since that moment. But at the same time, uh, I wouldn't say that they were in a stable position, even whenever he was healthy. So having some a, a true starting five on the offensive front and then having a stout front seven on the defensive side of the ball to be able to stop the run uh, probably has been a, a large part of the problem, along with the injuries that Texas has faced so far. Fozzie, the uh, you know I've I've only seen Texas in person once, but the the first half of the Oklahoma game they looked like a team that could compete for championships. I mean they they looked that good. Um, when you look at the differences between the first and second half, and I know you touched on it a little bit, but I mean how frustrating is that to watch? And what do you think is the disconnect between the first and second half of these games? Yeah, Jace, this is extremely frustrating because you look at a team that can obviously compete with. It seems like anybody in the conference and possibly anybody in the country, whenever you turn on the tape in those first 30 minutes of played and 
all four of the games that they've lost in a row, they were leading at halftime, like you've already alluded to. But it's something that I'm not quite sure if it's the game plan that Sark is able to devise and the game plan that Coach PK on the defensive side is able to uh, to, to pull up that allows his players to play fast. But they are a complete different team uh, right after halftime. And I'm not quite sure everybody talks a lot about the adjustments uh, that a team will make at halftime. And it's not like you're changing your entire playbook or you're changing your entire philosophy. Uh, just the opposing teams have found a way uh, to grind down Texas's offense and defense. And then those big explosive plays uh, typically end up breaking for the opposite team in the second half because of uh, just probably the lack of depth and then the, uh, the lack of attention to detail. And uh, I, I vividly pull out a, a couple of clips that come to my mind is I, I talk about the run game and, and how in the second half running backs uh, typically have feasted well. Uh, and you can look at last week with Brees Hall, who had 17 yards in the first half and then finishes uh, the game with close to 150, I believe, uh, by the time it was all said and done. Uh, and I think it's just uh, the attention to detail and the depth, uh, run fits, gap fits. Every single week we see in linebackers not filling the right gap. Every single week uh, we see two defensive linemen in the same hole or we see a safety not filling in in the spot that they're supposed to, uh, supposed to properly fit into. And it's just been that on the defensive side and on the offensive side. Uh, you can't get Bijan going. He's been hit in the backfield. It seems like almost every single play. Um, that give up too much penetration uh, from the interior O-lineman that basically stifles the run game. And then protecting Casey or Hudson Card, whoever is in the, uh, in the pocket at the time, trying to protect him on a, on a play-by-play basis uh, has been a struggle in and of itself. And I think it's more so coming down to just at the end, these guys being worn out uh, and they can't find a way to, to put the level of attention and the level of detail they, they can't put it into practice or into play in the second half of the games uh, in a similar fashion that they were able to do in the first half. You, Fozzie, for that Iowa State game, you were, I believe, in studio at LHN with Michael Griffin and, and Quandre Diggs. And I know Quandre always keeps it real. And I'm sure a bunch of your former <laughs> I'm sure a bunch of your former teammates do too. So I'm curious, among you know, your buddies that you played with, the guys you've gotten to know that that play for this program. Like what? What are those conversations like for y'all over the course of a month like this? Because certainly you compare it to your playing days um, and and what it was like. And uh, I'm I'm sure there's also probably a weird part of this where you know year year one of Strong, year one of Herman, year one of Sark. Now it's kind of the same deal. Yeah, definitely. And, and I was a part of that 2010 team that also had a four game losing streak. Yeah. Uh, for Texas, so I know both sides of what it. It feels like to be on the high and I know what it feels like to be on the low end in 2010 it was more so at fault because of the offense we turned the ball over way too many times uh and we didn't give our defense any help and, and throughout the season obviously that bit us in the butt we went five and seven didn't go to a bowl game and it seems like uh it was the end of the world but the conversations that we had in that offseason were all about getting back to what we know how to do which is number one competing at a high level Every single practice, every single rep, every single play, every single time we stepped in the weight room, every single time we stepped on the field for workouts, it was all about competing and getting better. And whenever you have that natural competition, you know, taking effect each and every day, 
hopefully by the time the season rolls around, you know, your level of play has increased and you become a, a much greater impact uh, on the team to have a positive effect on how the season turns out. In my senior year, I ended up getting hurt, but our team was moving in a much more positive direction than what they were uh, back in that 2010 season where we only won five games. And I see some of the semblances of what was happening there. Our locker room wasn't terrible in 2010, but it wasn't the best. It wasn't like it was in 08. It wasn't like it was in 09. And it wasn't like it was in 11. And I see some semblance of that in this Texas team right now. Obviously, uh, the big news media that just popped up was the Bo Davis, uh, the chewing out uh, of them leaving the Iowa State game on the bus. And that type of culture is not something that is warranted from the standpoint of the player that's recording the video and leaking it. That culture is not wanted within the ranks of, of, of former Texas players or current Texas players or just former players in general. Like, you, you know, you don't do that. There are certain things that should be said and left in the locker room or should be said and left amongst each other and, and shouldn't go no further than that. And uh, for for this kid to be able to uh, kind of put that on display for everybody to kind of hear uh, and and kind of experience was uh, it's shameful. And I, I, it's a disgrace to the Texas program. It's a disgrace to all the former players. And that's kind of the conversations that we have as former players. I, I talk with Quandre every single day. I talk with Adrian Phillips every day. Uh, I even talk with uh, Snacks, Damon Harrison. He's another guy. He didn't go to Texas, but he's a guy in our circle that we always communicate with, whether it's on Facebook or Twitter or IG. And, and we're just talking about how the culture is not what it used to be. Jordan Hicks, uh, MJ McFarlane, uh, obviously Michael Griffin, um, other people, Brian Arako, Jamal Charles, all these guys still live in Austin, Derek Johnson. Uh, and, and we bounce off a ton of ideas amongst each other and, that's not the type of culture that you want to create in the locker room. And that's not the type of culture that Texas wants to see done. And so uh, you got to be able to figure out how to become a team and play as a team and really trust in each other if you want to have success. And right now, Texas isn't doing that. And us former players are, are extremely frustrated because we're seeing uh, this team unravel and unfold over these past four weeks. You mentioned the video and me personally, I watched it a couple times. I didn't necessarily think that that Bo Davis crossed a line or anything like that. And and you know, you know, within locker rooms and practices and stuff, you know, getting MF'd is part of the deal a little bit. But I am curious. I've seen a lot of former players, especially say on Twitter, that they agreed with the message and appreciated the message. And I'm curious how you know when you saw that. How did you kind of take it? And and do you hope? As much as that's kind of airing out the dirty laundry in the team, like, do you hope that there's maybe something productive that comes out of that? Absolutely. I agree 100% with Coach Davis. Whenever he was here, whenever I was here, it was the same message. Like, number one, whenever you come to the University of Texas, the message is you should not accept mediocrity. And if you are accepting being just okay or just average, then you're probably at the wrong place. Texas is not the place for you. You will get crucified if you think that going – and, and on a four game losing streak and thinking four and five right now is a good thing for Texas. That That's never something that's not a standard that Texas wants to uphold. So uh, I'm 100 percent behind Bo Davis because, number one, on the outside looking in from the media perspective, you know, we're always trying to figure out, you know, what's really going on with this Texas team. Right. We thinking that something 
is happening and nobody's really saying nothing. Nobody's getting after the players. Everybody talk about the, the country club atmosphere or the, the feel that the players have that everything should be given to them, the entitled kind of spoil the rich, uh, you know, just, you know, uh, coach Brown used to call them hamburger eaters uh, that would like kind of to be there to wear the Jersey and eat hamburgers, but not really put in effort to help the team win type deal. Like you got to weed the locker room out with some of those bad nuggets. And me as a highly competitive athlete, uh, that's what I thrive on. I want to see people competing at the highest level, giving it everything that they got to be able to get this team a victory. And it doesn't seem like all of the Texas players, whenever they step out on the field, especially in the second half, have that same type of mentality. And I see some of the people and it's not just Texas players in general, but I see football players in today's time frame. They'll lose a game and be on Instagram two minutes later after the game is over, posting videos or posting photos about how great of a day or how great of a game that they had. But you just lost and gave up 200 yards rushing. Like, I don't understand the thought process of how it's all about me or it's all about the social. It's all about the gram whenever uh, you know, the, the old coach saying back in the gap is talking about whenever you lose, there's a little piece of you that died. And that's how whenever I was at Texas, that's how losing felt to us. There was a piece of us that died. I still ain't got over, obviously, the national championship loss. That's a huge game and still a lot of accomplishments that happened in that season. We went undefeated in regular play, won the Big 12 championship. But like I lost a part of my life whenever Coke got hurt and then we could not surmount a comeback and never was able to pull off a victory. And that is like, it doesn't sit well with me. And it's the same way in the NFL, whenever I would lose a game with the Carolina Panthers. You see guys that would, that would play around after the game as if nothing happened. And that's not something that should be taken lightly because these are people's livelihoods. Obviously, the, the kids aren't necessarily uh, at stake because of, you know, they're, they're still in school and they still have a long life to live. But these coaches, man, this is how they feed their kids. This is what Bo Davis is talking about. This is how I make my living. This is how I got to survive. And I'm not going to put it in the hands of somebody that doesn't want to give great effort or that doesn't want to be here. I'm not going to put it in your hands. So I'd rather you leave and we'll bring in somebody that wants to buy in because the people that buy in, that's the best teams that you see. Guys that are involved in the locker room, guys that are giving each other high five, guys communicating with each other, hanging out. Uh, you know, off the field. Those are the teams that are close and usually have the most success. So I agree with uh, what Coach Davis said. I hope there's more of it because there probably needs to be a, a reality check for this Texas team to say going four and five right now and losing the last four in the fashion that they did is not okay. So somebody got to be able to put them in check. And it seems like Coach Davis is that person. Last thing for me here, Fozzie, um, from your experience in playing at the college level and playing uh, in the NFL, um, what what is the rule on the bus on the sideline when you've lost? <laughs> like, how is everyone? Does everyone need to be? And and I, obviously the point is taking this seriously. But does everyone need to be mad or sad a, after a game? Like, how long are you supposed to do? Like, maybe that for you, like you said, you lose a piece of yourself when you lose. You take it. You know, for you that comes easy. But like, what is like crossing the line there in terms of joking around or smiling or whatever after a game? You know, typically it's usually underclassmen that don't make an impact in the game, don't necessarily play in the game and think, hey, well, they lost, but I didn't lose type aspect. 
uh, that you see kind of joking around or, or people that just didn't play a lot. And that's in my experiences. Those are the ones who usually on the bus home are cracking jokes, being like overly loud, being, uh, you know, showing videos and, and talking about stuff that doesn't pertain to anything related to the game. Like those are the people that you start getting in trouble with. And I'm not saying that it should be a cemetery on the way to the airplane and all the way from the flight to Ames to Austin. Like it, it shouldn't be that quiet and shouldn't be that dead. Obviously, you talk with each other and you have normal conversations like normal people would do. Uh, but in the effect of how it happened with, with this incident and how it was released last week, it looked like, from my opinion, Bo Davis was yelling at them as they were leaving the stadium and headed to the airport before they got on a plane to head to Austin. It looks like that. That's what I'm thinking, because that's whenever the loss is most fresh. You know, salt is in the wound. Um, and you kind of expect guys to reflect on what happened and be able to make a conscious decision to know, hey, this probably isn't the best time to be cracking jokes and talking loudly and interrupting other people or, or whatever the case may be. Um, and, and usually the upperclassmen get it because they either have been there before or they know that this is my last time playing at Ames. This is my last three conference games. This is my last opportunity to go where you know, white and burn orange for the University of Texas. I don't want it spent losing 30 to seven to Iowa State in the fashion that we did. And that's kind of the realization that you got to have is those upperclassmen and those underclassmen and getting everybody to understand, like, you don't have to be dead quiet, but let's let's reflect back on what we did. Let's reflect back on what we're trying to accomplish this season and still work towards something. And then as you get on the airplane, that's typically whenever everybody has gotten a little more loose and, and have found a way to be able to cope a little bit more okay. with the loss. And then, that makes sense. then people fall asleep on the, on the plane back home. So <laughs> it's like everything will take care of itself and then film review the following day and then you, you bury it. But usually the bus ride, it, it's not too many people that should be talking. Uh, not too many people that should be laughing or joking whenever you get your butts handed to you 30 to seven. And I imagine it uh, it should be a senior player chewing you out, ne not necessarily a coach, too, right? There's you got to have those veterans on the team who are kind of the enforcers. Yeah, and, and I think that's a little bit of the problem with Texas, too, is you look on the defensive side of the ball, usually how whenever I play, the buses were split up offense and defense. And since Coach Davis was yelling, I'm assuming he was on the defensive bus if they split up like that. And uh, you just don't see enough veteran leadership on a weekly basis, you don't see guys grabbing another guy by the face mask and say, hey, they just ran 100 yards on us. We got to get a stop here because we look embarrassing. You don't see it on the offensive side either. Hey, we got to find a way to protect Casey. We got to find a way to get B. John going. We got to find a way to protect Hudson. If he gets the ball out, we got talented receivers. Xavier Worthy is the top receiver in the Big 12 right now. Like, you got to have those people that can step up and, and be able to hold other people accountable. And it seems like there's not a true guy that can do that. Last season, you had Sam Ellinger, Joseph Osai, guys who, who had the chips on their shoulder, who had uh, the clout behind their names that can really say, this is what it is, this is what it's going to be. But it seems like this year, there's no go-to guy like that on the offensive or the defensive side of the ball. So that's probably why Coach Davis had to step up and, and do what he did. Bozzy, last one for me, and, and this is kind of a big picture question, but I, I think that probably when you signed with Texas, you knew everybody loves to hate Texas. I mean, it's just sort of a, it's part of the deal, I think. 
um, tale as old as time. But but the last 10 years, and you were there when Texas was at its peak. I mean, 2008, 2009, you guys were great. Um, what's it been like to watch Texas not just become some a team that people love to hate, but almost a punchline? I mean, Sam kicked us off by saying the Texas is back thing, which has become kind of a punchline through the years. Um, you know, every, everything that happens gets magnetized and gets blown up. The, the Joshua Moore thing, for example, this year, I mean, I saw that guy, uh, go lights out against Oklahoma in the first half and everybody sort of jumped on that. There's this story with the assistant coach's girlfriend and and a monkey. (laughs) There's all this stuff that keeps happening. What is that like as a former player to watch? Not just you guys be hated, but sort of laughed at is that, is that, does that bother you? Absolutely. It bothers me. Uh, you look at what the locker room effect is, especially while I was playing at the next level, the biggest bragging right you can hold over somebody is that your team beat their team in college. And it's like a ton of guys in the NFL have those types of bragging rights. They have those type of bets where you got to come into the next day to team meeting room wearing the opposing team's colors or wearing a shirt or jersey, whatever the case may be, uh, to, to kind of put your bragging rights on, on display in front of all your peers. And that's kind of where the pinnacle was. If you're able to make it to the next level, it's like those bragging rights. Whenever I was playing, obviously Texas didn't have a ton of those bright moments uh, in the big lights uh, to that degree that I experienced whenever I was there with Colt McCoy, but uh, it, it's just been frustrating. And then at the same time, like, I, I don't know what the answer is. Because it's been this way, like you just pointed out, for the past 10 years. And the crazy thing about it is there's been four different head coaches at the University of Texas, and it's still the same. There have been four different regimes of players and athletes that have come through Texas, and it's still the same. You know, there used to be an excuse kind of built in. Well, he hasn't gotten his guys in yet, right? That's what the excuse for Charlie Strong was. Okay, well, you give him time to get his guys in, still underperforms. Up next, Tom Herman. He hasn't gotten his guys in. Okay, well, they went a Sugar Bowl and got to the Sugar Bowl only because Oklahoma went into the playoffs, but they had some success. And then the following week, it turns out that all that success seemed like it was a dud and a disappointment. And then now he's gone. And then now you're like the same thing. It's a revolving cycle where we're like, oh, wait until Steve Sarkeesian gets his guys, you know. He hadn't got his guys, but the one guy that he was able to touch, Xavier Worthy, is on a freshman All-American pace. Well, how long until this fan base says, oh, well, we've had enough of that. Let's see if we can find somebody else and see what the answer is. And it's like it's it's exhausting because, like I said, it's been four different head coaches over the past decade and nobody seems to have the answer, which is the the more more strange thing to me. It's kind of like the Texas Longhorns are, are like the punchline of, of how the Dallas Cowboys are perceived. You know, everybody loves to bag on the Cowboys whenever the Cowboys aren't doing good. Uh, but whenever they are doing good, it's kind of like, oh, okay, it's kind of expected. You should be doing good. You have all the resources, all the money, this and that. And, and it's just, it's it's painful to watch because Texas hasn't been back at the level that a lot of people expected them to be with the way that they were recruiting, with the resources put in, and who was leading them at the helm. Tremendous insight, Fozzie. Really appreciate having the perspective of a former player. Fozzie Whitaker, former Texas running back, Longhorn Network analyst, and host on Sirius XM Big 12 Radio. Catch him on Monday mornings there. Fozzie, thanks so much for joining us today. We really appreciate you doing it. Yes, sir. I appreciate y'all having me on. And, man, I'm hoping 
that Texas is able to make a turn for the better uh, moving forward. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, that was great stuff from Fozzie Whitaker, former Texas running back, uh, Longhorn Network analyst. Uh, Really appreciate him hopping on. Uh, A lot lot of great insights. I got to adopt that hamburger players. I love that term. I'm I'm going to take that one with me. Yes, that's it's great stuff. Great stuff from Fozzie. Um, all right. Now our favorite time of the week, picks. First, let's update the the standings. Uh, Sam is is really starting to pull away at 45 and 32. Um, you're, you're making a lot of people a lot of money out there, Sam. Yes, sir. Um, I'm in second, 37 and 40. But Max, you are right on my tail at 36 and 41. You have made an impressive comeback from where you were. I don't know if I'd say I'm on your tail. I think it's it's just possible you're coming down to my level, which which (laughs) has to be alarming. I was trying to give you credit, man. I don't know. I kind (laughs) of look at it. I don't know if y'all saw that picture that went on the No Context College Football account the other day with DeMarvin Leal right behind Bo Nix, and it looks like he's about like a horror movie. I think I I picture that with Max's is DeMarvin Leal and Jason's Bo Nix right now, one one spot behind in the standings. So who are you in that scenario then, Sam? I must be I must be Jimbo Fisher on the sideline, <laughs> calling all the plays yeah. and yeah. <laughs> pulling all the right strings at this point, making like a yeah yeah making a million making bucks the a money game. yeah that's, that's right because right, he's that's he, right. he's the money maker there so yeah <laughs> well let's see if we can't close the gap a little bit uh, this week Max with Sam uh, we got leading off guys uh, is is sort of the game of the week in the Big Twelve dude all these lines scared me this week. Because there's it's not, not easy. There's not one line that's like three points this week. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. Uh, we're going to start off with Oklahoma Baylor, which is OU's chance to really start impressing the college football playoff committee because they clearly haven't uh, thus far. Remain number eight in the latest rankings. Um, they're they're nine and zero, but they're number eight. 
behind some a bunch of one-loss teams, but this will be their first chance to play a team ranked by the committee, which Baylor, interestingly, stayed at number 13 despite falling uh, a lot lower than that in the in the AP and coaches polls. So uh, the committee obviously likes Baylor, even though they're coming off that TCU loss. OU is a five-and-a-half-point favorite, and we can talk a little bit about this game since it's such a big deal. 11 a.m. kickoff on, on Fox. Um, Max, you want to start this one off? How, how, what do you think about this OU Baylor game? I, I, I was saying it as a bit a few weeks ago, and now I honestly believe it. Like, Caleb Williams could probably take the Heisman lead this week if he has a big game. It's still just like there for the taking for somebody. Yes. Yep. It is. It is. And this is, he, and this is a, you know, this is a pretty good defense too. So, I mean, I think it's like, I think if he goes off in this game, I mean, when, when you guys have to fill out your Heisman straw poll ballots on Sunday morning, you're going to think about it, right? Well, I must I'm admit. I'm not like twisting he ha- your arm here. I'm just curious what you had. No, you no, 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 no. I must admit, you know, Caleb Williams had one third place vote in this week's Heisman straw poll, and that came from this guy. Wow. So, <laughs> wow. I, I, look, I, I know that probably makes me seem a little bit like a homer, but the truth is I think he's played to that level. He has the number two QB rating in, in, F, in the FBS right now, 14 touchdowns, one interception. He's averaging almost 10 yards a rush. Like, what's not to love about this guy? It'd be funny if he has like 22 touchdowns and is a Heisman finalist, you know? Like it's... <laughs> um, by the way, there's definitely been some homer picks going on in that Heisman straw poll because I see Marcus Jones got another third place vote. That would Hi, be Sam. me. Hey, Come on, man. Marcus Jones, <laughs> dude, four kick return touchdowns, two the interceptions, best. 10 catches. Come on, man. There, there, there is not a player doing what he'll at least he should win the horning at the very least. Yes, that's correct. But yes, um, I'm being the Homer guy picking Marcus Jones in the high. No, I, I think that uh, there's a part of me that just thinks like I think I'm going to take Oklahoma to cover the five and a half here. Part of me just thinks it's Oklahoma in November. Like, don't overthink it. Um, right. But I'm not I'm not to be clear I'm not saying I'm off Baylor just because of the TCU game either. Like I I I I still think this game is going to be fantastic. Yeah, I'm I'm not I'm not off Baylor either just because I thought that was a fluky performance. It it was a different situation. Buzzsaw, TCU, emotional win for them. No Gary Patterson. Uh, very very different scenario. And I I remember I told you guys on this podcast last week that team has enough talent to to win just about any game it has out there. And I, I had a feeling it would go that way. So I wasn't surprised to see that. The one thing I will say I'm concerned about with Baylor is Gary Bohannon threw one interception through the first seven weeks. And he's thrown four in the last two. So that yeah. concerns me a little bit. But that said, I look at this roster and it's the two deep is filled with, I believe, if I counted correctly a couple weeks ago, 18 guys who were on the team in 2019 that went to the Big 12 championship that lost to Oklahoma twice. But you guys remember they were up 28 to 3 in that in that oh, game, yeah. that first match. And obviously they went down to the wire with them in the Big 12 title game. I think Baylor's going to cover here. I do not know if they're going to win, but I do think given the experience and the depth on this team, I think they'll bounce back and I think they'll cover the five and a half. It's also worth noting last year, Baylor came to Norman and played Oklahoma really tight. Uh, it was it was one of their tighter games there at the end of the season. So um the Oklahoma Baylor series has been very interesting, really, for the last decade, starting with Robert Griffin III winning the Heisman because of his play against OU. So it's a, it's a fascinating series. I mean, heck, even the year Baylor went what one and eleven or two and ten, Matt Rule's first year, they still took OU 
to the wire. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Having said all of that, I'm well, still. I was, I was thinking OU of the. I was also you. You mentioned the series and like you got the the blackout game on I think Thursday, right? That was amazing. Um, back in Floyd Casey, um, you also had the the epic game where do you remember the one where Mike Stoops lost his mind because the Oklahoma had the cornerback who had the club on one hand and he couldn't he they couldn't Julian stop. Wilson Julian Wilson they couldn't stop anything against Baylor man they were playing like they 15 fun yards the off the line of scrimmage That's and, right yeah and the fans booed uh that was really you know that was uh a sign of Didn't things Mike to come open the Mike. box after that game I, I want to say that was that was <laughs> yeah that was one of his last games on yeah. the sideline yeah was that game they've played some good game I mean the, and uh I think uh uh, I remember Baker had a game in Waco that was that was a real shootout. That was one that really helped establish Oklahoma. I think in I want to say fifteen, too. I mean, yeah, these teams have played some awesome games. I, I'm expecting another one. Yeah, so I'm I'm going to pick OU to cover the five and a half, but I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if it's closer than that. Um, this this has been a fun series. So uh, so that one's at eleven a.m. Max, um, did you pick? Did you end up sticking yeah, with Oklahoma? I'll take OU to cover the five and a half. Gotcha. All right, so uh, so we got two OUs and one Baylor. That'll be a, a, a lot of fun to watch. Uh, next up, we got West Virginia Kans- at Kansas State. Kansas State a six-point favorite. Who wants to take this one? Max, I'll give a four to you on this one. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. Neither outcome would surprise me really with this. I mean, this this feels like this feels a little bit of a coin flip to me. And in some ways, I'm, I wonder if six is too many points. But I'll take K State covering the six. Yeah, I think so. I'm a, I'm agree with you. It's this one is hard to read and it's hard to figure out. But K State a little bit rolling. They've won three in a row. I think I'm going to take the Wildcats to to win here. They're they're bouncing back. Things that things have turned yeah. ever since that big Texas Tech win. Uh, after we joked about Chris Kleiman asking for positivity, well, he's given some things to be positive about now. So for sure. Uh, so so I, I'm going to take the Wildcats to cover here. This is a tough one because I, I I like like you guys I could kind of see it going either way. West Virginia has been a little bit of a confusing team this year, um, so I as much as I do like Kansas State, I think I'm going to take West Virginia to cover yeah. the cover this one here. Probably I think I'm going to take the Mountaineers. Um, all right, next up we got Iowa State at Joey McGuire's new uh, new home, Texas Tech. The Cyclones coming off the big. Thorough victory over Texas are a ten and a half point favorite in Lubbock. Uh, Sam, you want to go first? Yeah, I will take Iowa State to cover. I think that they're hitting that that point of the year where they're starting to play really well. Uh, Tech is, you know, obviously new coach, but he won't be on the sideline. Of Sunday, Cumbie's still the interim coach, so he'll still be uh, calling things and a little bit of uncertainty at the quarterback. Uh, I guess as we're recording this right now, they haven't named a starting quarterback, but I think they will. They will have by the time this comes out, either Donovan Smith or or Henry Columbia. But and Tyler Shuck is still working his way back from injury. But I, I just I think Iowa State right now is a little bit too good. Uh, I, I could see Tech covering, but I, I'm just not going to go with it right now. I think the Cyclones are just much better team. They're playing better, so I'll take Iowa State and give the ten and a half. You know, Jason, for, for your Heisman purposes, uh, Brees Hall is back to being the third leading rusher in the country. It's going to give me something to think about. He is. He is. Um, you know, Sam, one thing I thought that was interesting on Tuesday is you heard Kirby Hokut, I think, say maybe a couple times um, that we're going to like really celebrate when we get to a bowl game. Um, 
and you know Texas Tech has five wins. They just need one more. So I do sort of wonder is this is this it of the three that they have left? Is this the game they could go out and win? Um, and ten and a half. There's a part of me that wonders if it's too many points a little bit, um, even with what Iowa State uh, just did to, to Texas. I'm going to take Iowa State to cover the 10 and a half. And yeah, the, the quarterback situation probably is a little bit of uh, pushes me over the edge there. Um, I think Iowa State will cover this. And I, man, they're they're playing uh, they're playing really well. I, I, I would be surprised if they laid an egg in this one. I, I agree. I think Iowa State's uh, starting to play really well. I, I think they cover uh, the 10 and a half. And, and really, you know, next week, they come to Norman to play Oklahoma. It's really this is this is Iowa State's time of year. It's Oklahoma's time of year. That's going to be, I think, a, a pretty interesting game. But they got to get through Texas Tech first, and I think they will. Next up, Kansas at Texas, guys. Texas is a thirty and a half point favorite. Am I being tempted by the Lance Li- fighting Lance Leipolds again? Because I I believe that I am. Yeah, I'm, do- I th- I'm doing it. Let's do it, guys. Yeah, let's do <laughs> I, it. I have heroes. To. I have to just because Texas. We have to. We, I said it last week when with the Iowa State game. Texas has to prove it to me. They have to prove it to me, and they have not for four weeks. They have not. And guys, thir- thirty and a half is too many points. I, especially with this team and this particular history between these two teams. Uh, we all remember what happened in 2016, but they also had a scare with in the Les Miles era as well in Austin. Uh, I believe what was it, forty to 50 to forty-eight? Was that? Yeah, in two thousand nineteen, uh, fifty to forty-eight, they had to get a field goal at the end to win it. Uh, heck, in two thousand eighteen, it was twenty-four to seventeen uh, in Lawrence. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, three of the last four here. Last year they got canceled because of, of COVID nineteen. Three of the last four here have been well. With actually, the last four have been within thirty, uh, but three of the last four have been pretty close. Uh, so I'm taking Kansas to cover. I'm, I'm taking Kansas, Kansas to, cover. to cover too. I I have to, I mean, can't look, Kansas is worse than the country in stop rate, but Texas isn't very good either. And, uh, you know, sh- certainly when you look at the schedule. Yeah, sure. This is the get right game that Texas needs. And it's a big one for, I mean, who's starting at QB this week, Sam? That's a great question. He, uh, Steve Sarkeesian is supposed to let everybody know at Thursday morning, Okay. Uh, that, that that so again. By the time you listen to this, he will probably have named a starter I mean, between Hudson Cart and Casey Thompson. Maybe maybe you know maybe their run game just absolutely goes off on Kansas and it doesn't really matter and all that. I, I could look. There's it's not hard to envision a way that Texas wins by 31, but this week I feel like that's a little bit too much respect to give Texas. I mean they 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 all lost Josh Moore. They lost Joshua Moore, the, who was their leading receiver last year. It was a starting receiver this year. Uh, Steve Arkeen said he's head of the transfer portal. Obviously, as Fozzie mentioned earlier, there's no Jordan Whittington, which has hurt this team. Yep. Uh, and the line play hasn't been very good. So uh, I, I just can't see. Yeah. Uh, could I see Jason, them? Jason, you doing it? You with us? I'm I'm in. I'm all in all right. on the Jayhawks to cover. I don't think they'll win, but I am all in on them to uh, to cover because 30 and a half. Uh, I'm sorry. I, look, cut, I cut you off there, Sam. What were you saying? No, I said I said I just think. There's so many issues on this team right now, yeah. and this could this could be the game. This could be a game where they bounce back, and maybe they do go and win by 40. But again, like I said, they they have to show me. They have to prove it to me. Well, that's what I was going to say. Who are some teams right now out there that you would think a 30 and a half line for in favor of Texas is appropriate right now? I, I'm 
I'm not sure there are that many teams out there that I would say I definitely think Texas will beat them by 31 points. Rice, I, I, who they already beat 58 to nothing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, a, that's, that's not very many of them. They're, they're, they're yeah, it's, not. Maybe some FCS not teams. Many. Maybe. But I, I I do think Kansas will keep this one a lot closer than the 30 and a half. So uh, we need to go back at some point and listen to every podcast and f- listen to how many times we've picked. I guess I could go back through my notes and figure it out. How many times we've picked Kansas? We definitely cover. picked too many times. We, we did. Have. And we did. What was it like a week ago or two weeks ago? We were saying they've never covered a game this year. Yeah, yeah it was. Oh, when they were 0 and 6. Oh, before the OU game, they had never. Yeah, yeah, right. And so OU is the first team they covered against. I think we all, I think we all jumped out on them that week, and then they covered that very week. Well, I mean, it's it's the transitive property. I mean, I think you know OU was a tiny bit better than Kansas, and OU was better than Texas. So I think you know (laughs) Texas is maybe a tiny bit better than Kansas. Yeah, love it. All right, so we all go with the Jayhawks. Uh, Last current Big Twelve game that we'll pick uh, TCU. At Oklahoma State, now, Oklahoma State is a 13.5-point favorite. Oklahoma State's defense has been unbelievable. Jim Knowles certainly belongs in the conversation for the Broyles Award. Um, I I think there's a good chance he wins it. Um, But TCU may have found itself a little something offensively last week in one Chandler Morris. Your favorite. Boomer Sooner, <laughs> the former Oklahoma quarterback. How, this how is did, why Lincoln how did Riley that didn't feel? want to let him go. Yeah, how did that feel, Jason, just watching watching Chandler Morris uh, go crazy? I mean, it was it was fun. Look, Chandler Morris showed some flashes last year. He would come in on some goal line packages and stuff there, there at times, and, and uh, uh, he showed a, some flashes last year when he got his opportunities. Now, I, you know, Lincoln Riley was upset when he transferred. I think now we can all see why Chandler Morris made the right decision. Not only is he playing, but he wasn't going to play over Caleb Williams. So pro- probably made the right call. But but yeah, it was it was pretty cool to see him out there uh, playing as well as he did. And, and it sounds like he's going to start again this weekend in Stillwater. Um I think this is an interesting game, and uh, I, I don't know who wants to take this first. I'm going to tell 13 you, this, and a half. this line scares the hell out of me because yeah. because of what I said last week, and, and I stick by it, TCU's got enough talent to beat just about anybody in this league. Uh, they haven't played well, obviously, for a number of reasons. They have injuries. Zach Evans is sounds doubtful again for, for this game. He's got a turf toe, is what Jerry Kill said. By the way, starting to get actual injury information out of TCU now that uh, there's a new coach. Uh, or an interim coach, uh, but man, they played so well in the receiving receiving core that they have. Chandler played so well, but I go back to Oklahoma State, man. The way they play defense, the way they run the ball, I'm going to go ahead and take Oklahoma State's cover. They're at home; it's a big game. They they know they've got to win every game here on out to to get themselves in the Big Twelve championship game. Of course, they're going to have the bedlam, which is going to be a challenge, but. They've got to win every game they can. So I like the urgency. I like the the way they've played. Like you said, the, just what they've done defensively. I'm going to take Oklahoma State to cover. Yeah, I I am too. Um, and I and that's that was kind of my curiosity, Sam, as I was, I was looking at this game. Is um, does the emotion wear off a little bit for TCU this week, or do they just go out and and ball out again? And I think when you look at the schedule for them, there should still be that kind of urgency here in terms of how do you get to six. You know you've got you got Kansas next week, um, so the question is, and that that would get you to five. So between your two road games left, you have a better chance of winning. 
in Stillwater or winning in Ames at the end of November. I think this is the one you probably want to try and go try and go get. Um, so uh, I I'm going to take Oklahoma State to cover the 13 and a half. Uh, but part of me thinks that's part of me does kind of think that's that's too many points. I, I don't feel great about it. I can promise yeah. you that. I think Oklahoma State's going to win this game, but 13 is just a lot. Yeah. I uh, I'm gonna take TCU to to cover this. Uh, I'm gonna because I think Oklahoma State's defense is great. Still have questions about their offense, and TCU seems to have found something. I would also point out TCU has won, I believe, three of the last four against Oklahoma State, uh, including some games where Oklahoma State was ranked higher. Yeah. So uh, they've been a little bit of a thorn in Oklahoma State's side. I don't know that I'm necessarily saying I think TCU wins the game, but I think they'll. I think they cover the. I remember last year's game was a mess. I remember. Yeah, yeah, that was, that was not a great loss for Oklahoma State last year. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so we're through the current Big Twelve. Let's move into our future Big Twelve. BYU off this week, so we will. Uh, so this will be their second straight week of not picking BYU. Uh, uh, because they played Idaho State last week, so let's start with the number five Cincinnati Bearcats. Playing at UCF, 23 and a half point favorite. At a certain point, Cincinnati's going to have to start blowing some people out, right? Yeah, at, a they, certain, they, they, at a certain point, we've got to get Justin back on this podcast, Justin Williams back on this podcast, too, to explain what's going on there. Yeah. Yeah. 23 and a half point favorite on UCF. That's, I mean, that that line seems a little big to me based on some recent history. Yeah. But, boys, uh, South Florida gave Houston a run. Timmy McLean was giving Houston's defense the blues. He, at three touchdowns, he threw for almost 300. And uh, D- Dana, Dana, Dana Holgerson was not happy after that game. So South Florida could mess around and cover. But, uh, boy, Cincinnati, they, they have not looked good as of late. It's on the road. It's in those, Tampa. Those two goal line stands were crazy against Tulsa, too. Yeah, yeah. Because they haven't, because they haven't tracked correctly and because South Florida looked the way they did against Houston last week, I'm going to take the Bulls to cover. The 23 and a half against Cincy. Ooh, interesting. I, it pains me to say because Cincy needs the, needs the style points and they're an inch closer to the playoff now at number five. But I think I think they with the road game and the way this has gone so far uh, these last few weeks, I'm going to take USF to cover. That, I, I get the thinking and 23 and a half does seem like a lot, especially with how they've been playing lately. Um, one thing and when I was looking at USF that stood out um, – I like Jeff Scott a lot. I, I, you know, for his time at Clemson, did a really good job there. Um, they only have one FBS win in his two seasons there so far here. Um, so I can't see the upset happening, but I do wonder a little bit if it's too many points. Um, I, I'll take I'll take Cincy twenty three and a half. Um, I don't I don't feel very good about it. That's kind of where I am, Max. I'm going to take Cincy, but I don't feel great about it. I, I feel like, I guess I feel like they need this. They need to to blow somebody out um, with the with the way the committee obviously views them. Looking for a reason, I think, to not put them in, as we've talked about many times. They they need to go out and have a big game. So yeah. I, I will I will We're pick just them keep to keep saying do that, that on the pod every week until it happens. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. All right, next up we got UCF. At SMU, SMU seven and a half point favorite. Man, I I have trouble taking SMU. They are on their November swoon. So the last three seasons, they've started a combined twenty and zero, and after those undefeated starts, they are four and eight. November is not a kind month to this team. Uh, UCF 
did not look great in the winning over Tulane. They had to get a, a fourth quarter touchdown to win it. But until until SMU shows, uh, yeah, uh, until SMU shows me that that it can get off of this November swoon that it goes through every month, I cannot take them to cover. I, I'm going to take UCF to cover this one. Yeah, I, I like UCF uh, plus seven and a half as well. Um, I think UCF is is looking like they're on track now for. Uh, about an eight nine win season here. Um, they've got the the last games they have are UConn and USF, so it's looking pretty good for UCF to finish out here. Um, and I just, uh, yeah, I think I think that uh, seven and a half. I, I don't know if I see UCF winning outright, but I think seven and a half is is uh, maybe a little too generous right here. I agree. I, I think I'm going to go with UCF as well. Um, and finally, Houston at Temple. Houston a twenty four and a half point favorite. Houston. Getting no love in the college football playoff None. committee, Max. What, what, Not Max, a one. Sam, what's, what's, what, what is going They're on They're taking there, their time. They took their time on UTSA, and they finally ranked UTSA last week. And so now we're going to have to wait another week, and they'll be 9-1 and one next week, and then I think they'll finally get in. They're, for the conspiracy theorists out there, they may be holding Houston down so they can have a reason not to put Cincinnati in at the end of the day. <laughs> That's so. good. I, I like that. I, I, I think it's one of those deals where I think probably AP voters, you know, just – you tend to maybe go by records a little bit more and how you sort and committee doesn't care about your record. Like if you're used to being a one last team, doesn't matter to them because Houston lost to power, power five team in Texas tech and uh, Houston other than SMU doesn't really have a lot of quality victories in their eyes. So I get why they're not in the top 25. It seems, seems pretty petty to me. Also Penn State, I, some of these, you just don't really totally get at the back back end of it. But um, also having done the mock selection before, you know the process is uh, it's 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 convoluted. It, it is in terms of the voting. I'm sure there's some people in that room that think Houston should be in the 25. Um, Houston, I think Houston's going to cover this 24 and a half against Temple. This Temple defense is absolutely terrible. Um, <laughs> over their last over their last four games, which they've all lost, uh, they are getting outscored 180 to 27. Golly. That's awful. That's not good. That's they not got good. beat. They good. got beat forty nine seven by UCF and forty five to three by ECU. Yikes! Yeah, I think that's probably they're probably getting ready for fix them to have a cooking search there. I, I would think at Temple. I th- so I think Houston is uh, Houston's going to be able to just like last week. Uh, I don't know if they're going to hit you know a bunch more ninety eight yard runs or whatever, but uh, I think Houston's going to be able to uh, put put up some points in this one and, and cover the twenty four and a half. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Clayton Toon is playing really, really well. Last two For weeks, sure. he was great against SMU. Uh, he was great last week against South Florida, uh, playing probably the highest level he's played since he's been on campus. So uh, offense is getting rolling. Defense, I think they'll bounce back. They had a rough go at it last week, but but that defensive front against this Temple team, I don't think they'll have much trouble. So I, I'm going to take Houston to cover. And I'll round things out by agreeing with you and taking Houston to cover as well. Go so Cougs. That- that wraps up our uh, our picks. We'll see. We'll see if we can make up any ground on Sam whatsoever. Uh, I doubt it, but uh, but we'll do our we're doing our best here. The real question uh, is: Am I going to pass you this week? I mean, that's what goodness. I'm watching for. It's a lot more interesting than chasing Sam at this point. Is the battle for second? That's right. 
Sam is Sam is Georgia in this scenario. There's there's, <laughs> there's the unquestioned number one, and then there's some pretty flawed flawed people behind them here. Hundred <laughs> percent. Thanks, guys, and thanks to all of you as always for listening. We're here every Thursday in the Andy Staples Show and Friends feed. So if you haven't already, please subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find our stories on The Athletic. If you're still not a subscriber to The Athletic, you can sign up with our latest promotional offer at theathletic.com/slash-one-true-pod. You're going to get comprehensive coverage of the Big 12 season and so much more. So now is a great time to sign up. We'll see you next time. Mm